1: Welcome to The Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, April 7th. On today's show, I want to offer an update on the four tour level events happening this week across the globe. The WTA Tour, competing in both Charleston and Bogota, the ATP Tour, playing its events in Houston and Marrakesh. Of course, any of you listeners who have tuned into any of this week's action will be well aware of the fact that all four of these tour level events being played on clay courts. That's right folks, it's officially the start of the 2022 clay court season on both the ATP and WTA tours as such. It's an adjustment period for all of us from players to fans alike. We have to reacclimate ourselves with clay court conditions, reassess which players we think are going to thrive each and every week under these conditions. That said, in typical tour fashion there's no time for transition, right? We go straight from the sunshine swing into Charleston into to Houston, Bogota, and Marrakesh. Not a week off, not time for us to go back and watch the clay court film of 2021. No, we immediately transitioned to the dirt as such. It's been a very fun week of tennis to observe. And I do apologize for the fact that we haven't had the consistency on these podcasts of late. I mentioned it earlier in the week. I am currently home in Michigan visiting my parents. I had the exceptional opportunity to travel to Ann Arbor yesterday as well to go attend the University of Michigan men's and women's tennis practice. Practices And those of you who are Cracked Rackets fans know college tennis is something near and dear to our heart as such. To have the opportunity to be in Ann Arbor, to watch the teams practice. Michigan, a top five team in the USTA Tennis Channel pull The Michigan women very much in the hunt for a top 16 seed as well. It was nice to finally get to assess my Wolverines in person. They're the only top 25 team I've yet to see play a match, yet to see play anything in person as such. Immensely grateful to both Coach Steinberg, Coach Burns for the opportunity to attend, and hopefully I didn't cause too big of a distraction. Nevertheless, it was great to be back at the Varsity Tennis Center in Ann Arbor. I know many of you listeners are sick of my personal anecdotes. I do apologize for that fact. I will say I am perennially immensely grateful to all of you who are taking the time to leave comments, to leave reviews in the iTunes review section or on Spotify or to reach out to us at crack rackets at AL Gruskin on Twitter. I know some of the personal anecdotes you all are getting sick of. You want to hear more about the tennis. I promise I'm going to get to the tennis momentarily. If you will indulge me for one moment, one additional additional reason I am back in Ann Arbor this week. It's a five-year anniversary of our Club Tennis National Championship, which means nothing to no one except the members of the team who competed and earned that championship. And obviously, I was one of those members of the team. Thus, I talk about it as frequently as I do. It's very fun to get to see some of my fellow members of the team who are either still here at home or whatever it may be to play catch up with all of them. And so as such, we've had a few delays in our podcast here this week. I do apologize for that fact. Obviously, We're going to get back on track here this weekend as we've got our SEC cross-court coverage beginning Friday at noon. You can follow all of that college tennis on each of the SEC team websites. Of course, on Sunday, we'll have another Big Ten Red Zone broadcast for all of you as well. Our cross-court coverage beginning, I believe, at 11 a.m. Eastern time. May carry all the way through 8 p.m. for that Big Ten coverage as I know the Michigan men have a doubleheader on Sunday as they take on Division III National Indoor Champions Case Western at, I believe, 6 p.m at the VTC. All of that said, the focus of this show today is going to be the tour-level action happening in Charleston, Houston, Bogota, and Marrakesh. I want to offer my takeaways from each of the events. Name the standout performers as we approach the quarterfinals and another championship weekend and so much more. Talk about, again, what are the differences between the clay court uh, results we are seeing thus far and the past three months of hard court results? What do the analytics say we should be looking for over the next couple of weeks? and months as well. I want to get into all that. Again, our introduction into the clay court season here on today's show. Of course, the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family. Immensely grateful for the fact that, again, each and every week, each and every month, our numbers continue to grow, continue to get better and better. That is a testament to the commitment all of you have shown us. And again, immensely grateful for all of you who take the time to leave the review and leave the comments comment out on iTunes, even if it's not a five-star review. I mean, five-star only, please. It helps us with the metrics. It helps us with the sponsors and makes me feel pretty good about myself. Not that that's ever an issue, as you all can tell, but certainly, again, any feedback you all have, things you want to hear, things you would like us to do more of, less of, such as the personal anecdotes that we're already doing. Immensely grateful for all of you who take the time to engage with us. It helps make this a better show for everyone moving forward. Of course, immensely grateful to our friends at Tennis Point Point as well for their continued support, the lifeblood of the show that allows us to go day in, day out. And of course, if you have any equipment needs from rackets strings grips to shoes socks and shirts got it all covered with our friends at tennis point the latest and greatest products at the best prices all in one location you just have to go to tennis-point.com today eventually you are going to make a purchase and when you do check out make sure you use our promo code cr15 as you'll get 15 percent off all sale items free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding 75 dollars. best of all a free can of wilson extra duty tennis balls you'll also let them know that their investment in this podcast is worthwhile so again we are immensely grateful for the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Tennis-point, the symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's the clay court action truly begin. Let's get into what we've seen unfold over the four events we're seeing at the tour level this week. Of course, there's some fantastic challenger action happening as well for all the updates on all things ATP Challenge. Tour, tune into our Monday episodes of the Great Shot Podcast. I'm going to try and get Damien on more frequently on this mini break podcast as well, so we can hear from him perhaps at least twice a week moving forward, as I think there are four challengers, maybe five happening this week. And of course, if I were to cover each and every event, it would end up as a two-hour monologue, which I have no problem, I suppose, executing, although I'm fairly certain all of you listeners wouldn't want to hear me rant for two hours consecutively. I also do just want to quickly point out, I know I promised award shows on the first third of the season with Gil Gross and David Kane some scheduling things came up turns out people aren't just available to drop everything on uh, the on a whim whatever I believe that's the expression on a whim uh, to come do your podcast turns out they both have obligations they have to attend to nevertheless I do promise you we will have an ATP award show with Gil Gross we will have a WTA award show with David Kane we will also have a weekly show a little bit of a tease here we will have a weekly show with DK moving forward as well. But again, you listeners didn't come here to hear about the updates. You came to hear about the updates on what's actually happening on tour. So with that in mind, let's get into it. And as always, my mother raised me well. We're going to go ladies first. We're going to start with the WTA action happening in Charleston. It's been a really fun event, and I know early on there were some travel issues that we didn't discuss. It was pretty difficult for a bunch of players to get from Miami to Charleston. Flight delays are going to constantly be a thing, of course, as we are still dealing With a global pandemic, but you look at the action as it's unfolded over in Charleston, it has certainly delivered the goods. And I'm recording this right around 6 p.m. on Thursday. As such, I had the opportunity to watch some of the outstanding tennis unfold throughout the day. In particular, you look at some of the round three matches we've already seen uh, played here today. How about Amanda Nisimova? who, simply put, is starting to resume to play some of the best tennis of her career once more. And you look for Anisimova, who today, a 3-6, 6-4, 6-3 victory over top-seeded Arena Sabalenka. I mean, the numbers for Anisimova here in 2022, just outstanding. You look for her overall on the year now, Anisimova, 13-5 on the year. That includes, obviously, the run to the title in the warm-up event to the Australian Open, an event called Melbourne 2. She then makes round of 16. In Australia, beating Belinda Bencic, beating Naomi Osaka seven six in the third, before getting knocked out by Ashley Barty four and three, in what may have been Barty's closest match of the tournament. Now that's a testament to how excellent Barty was in Melbourne, but also a testament to the dominance Amanda Nisimova can show when she's landing her first serve. And certainly, you know, again. There were some puzzling results after. Although, uh, context being key, you guys tell me, which of these losses would you categorize as bad? You look for her last week in Miami. She loses 3-6, 6-0-6, love to Shelby Rogers. I don't categorize that as a bad loss. You know, she beats Emma Navarro first-round Indian Wells, split sets with Layla Fernandez before she's forced to retire due to illness. Now we uh, we don't have great depth on the details of that illness but any player who's forced to retire due to some sort of ailment how are you going to call that a bad loss for Anisimova similarly you look for her in Doha 63 um 634664 she loses to Yelena Ostapenko who was coming off of the Dubai title and was the best player in the women's game in the Middle East and that includes Iga Świątek who also obviously goes on to win that Doha title I thought Ostapenko was straight up better than her during that Middle East stretch and of course the power tennis. Ostapenko can play when she's on her front foot striking the ball confidently. I mean, she does play that sort of Serena Williams power tennis country club uh, style where she's just going to play on her terms. She's just going to be able to out hit any opponent across the net from her when she's in that zone. And with all the power that Anissa Mova has, again, that she was even able to keep pace with an in-formule in Ostapenko like that, that she was able to, you know, match breaks with Ostapenko and land first serves and do all the things she needed to do it was a testament to the power tennis that Anisimova was playing, again... Rodgers in three sets. Retirement uh, to Layla Fernandez in a match that would have gone three sets. Three-set loss to Yelena Ostapenko. Straight-set loss to Ashley Barty. The only match where you're kicking yourself, if you're an Anisimova fan, is her 5-6 and six loss in the first round of qualifying in Dubai to Madison Brangle. Because, quite frankly, Madison Brangle does not have the sort of weapons that should hurt Amanda Anisimova. That match should be on Anisimova's racket. She should be able to dictate from the start. And even if some errors pile up due to the speed, consistency, pressure, Sure, Madison Brangle puts under you. That's a match Anisimova's always got to win. But the point being, more broadly here, I mean, she's 13-5 and five overall in the season. She's holding 71.9% of the time. That would be a career high for her if extended through a full WTA Tour year. She's also breaking serve 36.7% of the time, which, again, I think that number— is a bit lower uh, than it should be, but that's a test, uh, you know. And it's I actually think below her career average, but I think it's a testament to the aggression that she's playing with on the return of serve. I think she is just swinging freely because, simply put, she's top 25, top 20 right now in hold percentage this year on the WTA tour. Again, when you're holding over 70% of the time, you just build yourself some margin for comfort, and that was the key for Anisimova in this match against Sabalenka. I mean, certainly. You know, Arena Sabalenka, I think we all know at this point, and I apologize that every so often I just assume you all as listeners are following the tour as closely as I am. That's an assumption I'm going to try and make less of moving forward. That's, again, an internal improvement I need to make. But if you have, you know, again, I make that assumption because all of you are listening to a daily podcast. And if you do that, you are certainly passionate about tennis. I don't think I need to relitigate the struggles Arena Sabalenka has had on serve this season for all of you tuning into this podcast. Simply put, I think we all know uh, what Arena Sabalenka is capable of last season, obviously making a semifinals at a grand slam, a heartbeat away from knocking off Layla Fernandez at the U.S. Open as well, where she loses 6-4 in the third. And, you know, again, if you play that match at Wimbledon 10 times, does she split 5-5 with Pliskova? Maybe she does. And, you know, again, Sabalenka was one of the stories of last season. But of course, Arena Sabalenka has struggled just mightily on serve here in 2022. And look, those struggles continued on the first serve. She only landed 53% of her first serves. Now she won 70% of those points. But again, she played 47 points on her first serve. She played 41 points on her second serve. She went uh, 33 of 47 on those first serve points, 70% win percentage. That's pretty good. 12 of 41 on second serve points. It's just not going to cut it. And that's a testament to Anissa Mova, who was going Mach 5 on her return of serve. And again, that's the strongest part. Whenever you start talking about Amanda Nisimova, when you think about the 21-year-old uh, America, excuse me, 20-year-old, soon-to-be 21-year-old Americans upside this summer. Uh, she turns 21. Sorry. Poor phrasing. Amanda Nisimova, the soon-to-be 21-year-old this August upside. Uh, the thing you look for most close, uh, closely is the power and the ability to play on her terms and the decisiveness and the fearlessness to say, oh, you are a shot maker as, you know, Arena Sabalenka, you've got nice power. There's no denying that. But I am just as, if not more powerful than you, and I have better placement. And obviously on her backhand, how condensed that backswing is, but her ability to drive that ball like a cannon down the line or hit through you cross-court or just create space for yourself, she created more free points for herself than Sabalenka was able to. And again, this was a very power tennis-centric, five shots or fewer per point sort of match. It was not the most aesthetically pleasing, the most physically grinding sort of tennis. That said, you look for Nisimova, she made 60% of her first serves, which by the way is higher uh, than her season average, uh, excuse me, which by the way is below her season average to date. That said, she won 71% of her first serve points, 40% of her second serve points, which is good, not great, but you know, again, she's two of six on break point save. Sabalenka one of six on break point save. It was very break centric sort of match, and to, for Anisimova to win over 49, uh, you know, 49% of her service uh, of her return points, excuse me, against a server who can be as dominant as an arena Sabalenka. It's a testament to the decisiveness with which Anisimova plays, and again, when she plays her best or close to it, she can compete with anyone, regardless of the opponent, regardless of the level. I don't think Sabalenka played as poorly today as she had earlier in the season, and I do think, when you look, excuse me, for Sabalenka, played pretty well in her 7-6-6-4 second round, but first match victory over Allison Risk did not serve well but i don't think she played particularly poorly against anisimova anisimova was just the, hitting the ball a little bit cleaner she was the more consistent of the two players in what was a very broken power centric sort of match i don't believe I need to remind any of you listening that Amanda Nisamova was the 2019 French Open semifinalist. But in case you do need that reminder, let's keep in mind that in mind. And for the record, again, for Anisimova, who is inside the top 50 once again of the rankings, and with her quarterfinal result here in Charleston, Anisimova back into the top 40, number 37 overall. One more win this week gets her back into the top 35. She wins the title this week. She's back inside the top 30. Now that's a big ask, of course, to ask her to win the title in Charleston, particularly given some of the other names left in the field, and I want to get to them momentarily, but... Let's keep our eye on Amanda Nisimova. Uh, again, so much turmoil, so much, un- so many unfortunate things happening to the young American over the past you know, 12, 16, 18 months. It's so great to see her confident again, so great to see the results starting to uh, bear fruit for her. And I think we are all aware of the sort of tennis she is capable of playing. It's about seeing her play that more consistently. She's certainly starting to do it into the quarterfinals, where now it's an All-American matchup, as she's going to take on Coco Vandewey. Vandewey, 6-4, 3-6, 6-4, over Jessica Pegula. Those of you may remember, Coco Vandewey had a freak injury uh, in 2020. I think there was a microwave in her wrist, and it slipped, and you know so she broke her wrist, and she was out, and just hasn't been able to play that many matches over the past couple of years. But you look for her at the start of this season, plays in uh, 60K in Bendigo, ends up making, you know, semifinals there, then has to go play qualifying in the Australian Open. She loses three sets first round to 20-year-old Chinwen Zhang, who I mentioned, I think, earlier this week has been one of the rising stars on the WTA Tour this year. You know, gets a lucky loser into this Charleston event as she lost her second round match 3-2 to Gabriella Talaba, and yet... Three set wins over Gasanova in the round of 64. Three set win over Lauren Davis in the round of 32. Three set win over Jess Pagula here to reach the quarterfinals. You look for Coco Vandewey, who, of course, reached a career high of number nine back in 2018. And that was on the uh, back of all the slam success she had. We all remember that 2018 U.S. Open, which I believe was won uh, by American Sloan Stevens. But Hey, look for Coco Vandewey with this quarter, around uh, a 16 run. She's up to number 142 in the live rankings. So she's, you know, currently back inside the top 50. One more victory here this week gets her back to number 125 in the live rankings. If she wins the title this week, which feels a little bit crazy, she'd get all the way back up to number 74 in the rankings. And I think we all agree Coco Vandewey has top 100 talent with how well she strikes the ball and, you know, again, how decisive she can play as well. But... Three three-set wins for someone who has not played that much tennis over the last 52 weeks, and I suppose that'll be my final metric for you on Van Dewey. She's 18-17, and 17, just 35 matches in 52 weeks of play. Uh, again, this is probably her most promising result. I guess she made semifinals Birmingham last year and you know got a good win over Alia Tamjanovic, a good win over a seeded Maria Buzkova, but to beat Gasanova, Davis, Pegula, back-to-back-to-back to back to back in three sets, coming off of a lucky loser. Again, how frequently do we say this? Tennis is, a, is very much a sport of good breaks. Like, sometimes things are going to break your way, and luck's going to break your way. You're going to stay healthy for six weeks, and the rest of the field around you is going to crumble. Luck has not gone the way of Coco Vandewey. God knows she's earned a little bit of luck here uh, down the home stretch. And perhaps some of you want me to talk about the controversy between Vandewey and Gasanova and the lack of handshake at the end of the match. Truth be told, I didn't watch enough of the match from start to finish to understand the full context of the anger each player was feeling. That said, look, Coco Vandewey gets after it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. She has always been, I don't want to say a contentious player, that's not right, but you're not going to steal anything from Coco Vandewey. You're not, you know, again, she will walk onto every court with the arrogance of thinking, hey, I was a top 10 player in the world. I am better than you across the court. And guess what? I think that arrogance is what separates so often the good from the great. Like that, You need that arrogance in an individual sport. You have to be able to irrationally believe in yourself because ultimately it is just you out there competing. There is no point guard that's going to bail you out if you have a bad shooting night. There's no cornerback that's going to get an interception and get you the ball back if you throw a pick as a QB in football. And you know, again, I suppose golf would be pretty similar. Boxing would be pretty similar as well. And one of my favorite lines, perhaps ever, is everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Just a high-quality line, because if you've ever been punched in the face, you know, all right, you're right. I no longer have a plan. My head is buzzing. What's going on here? Uh, that's what Coco Vandewey does. She punches you in the face competitively. She just comes after it over and over and over again, and it's going to frustrate opponents as it has. Nevertheless, great to see Vandewey healthy, playing some of her best tennis again into the round of uh, into the quarterfinals. Excuse me, she goes. After this win over Jess Pagula, and now sets up a date uh, with Amanda Anisimova in the top half of your draw. For the record, those of you curious, Anisimova will be the favorite uh, in that match. I believe the slightest of favorites, but will be something like 60-40, 65-35, leading the way of the younger American. As you move through the draw, though, that top section may be uh, the most sporadic, maybe the most unexpected, perhaps is the better word, of what we've seen thus far unfold in Charleston. Now, there are some fantastic matches here today, and certainly Anisimova Sabalenka is one of them. Belinda Bencic, who... I wax poetically about throughout Miami. And you look for Benchich, she's won over 70% of her matches since the start of the grass court season last year. Obviously, the massive result for her winning the Olympic gold medal. I continue to believe she was the player who came closest, not only to taking a set off of Emma Raducanu, but straight up beating Raducanu in New York last year. I think it was a 4-3 and three loss for Benchich in the end. But go watch that first set. Benchich had her chances. She had her break points, just a couple of missed balls wide or long, whatever they may be. She's just striking the ball so brilliantly. She's healthier than she's been maybe since her very first injury back at age 15, 16 years old in her pro career. And, you know, she just outpowered tennis. Madison Keys today and ultimately earned the straight set victory. And again, I think Madison Keys is playing really well right now. And you look uh, via our friends at Tennis Abstract. I did a little research today. Stats leaderboard wise, there are, let's see, three, Three plus five is eight plus another three. There are 11 players who rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage here in 2022. And again, if you're holding top 25, you're breaking top 25, you probably are a top 25 player right now, top 10, top five sort of player on tour. You know, Madison Keys is one of just uh, 11 players right now to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. And yet Belinda Bencic struck the ball better than her. And you look over the last 52 weeks, I believe Belinda Bencic is third in-hold percentage, knowing that she's going to hold serve as frequently as she is. And just again, the care, carelessness is the wrong word. The carefree nature with which she is swinging right now because of the confidence she possesses, she just out tennis Madison Keys, And you don't think of Belinda Bencic as the sort of power hitter that in Anissa mova is, that in Arena Sabalenka is. And yet, one of the best Ball strikers, and I know that's an arbitrary concept, but you know, if she's going to miss hit the ball, she's going to miss it by a mile. If she's going to hit the ball cleanly, it's just going to do damage. And her ability to hit the swinging volley, take the ball early on the rise down the line, because she is not the most fluid mover. Again, she just outpowered tennis Madison Keys in a match that didn't look too dissimilar from the Sabalenka Nisimova and the fact that I would say 91.6% of the rallies were four shots or less, uh, five shots or less, excuse me, but good power tennis from uh, Belinda Bencic to advance to the quarterfinals. Great start for her. Does not have many points to defend here in the clay court season. So you look for Bencic. She can make a top 10 push here. Bencic right now, number 21. She gets the win in Charleston. She would move all the way up to number 13, but more broadly again for Belinda Bencic, the fact that Oh, excuse me, they haven't included her quarterfinal uh, points yet. So with this victory, she is now up in back into the top 20, number 19 right now in the world. I mean, again, has uh, some serious grass court points to defend. I thought she played pretty well, though doesn't have any Olympic points to defend from last summer and yet has sustained that level here in 2022. I think Bench is just striking the ball as brilliantly as anyone. And I know we're on clay courts, but they're green clay courts. In Charleston. So they are a little bit quicker, you know, a little less I I, they don't just they just don't Absorb the pace and steal your pace away from you as quickly as perhaps a red uh, clay court does. I think you can rip through these one. The ball still does skid a little bit flatter, a little bit more thoroughly through the green clay. As such, the aggressive tennis of Belinda Bencic has paid dividends thus far. Now, I'm not going to spend this long breaking down every event happening this week, but this one has been particularly good. Again, when you look at the action that's unfolded here uh, in Charleston, certainly some really fun matches on court as we speak, and. Just just a scoreboard update for all of you. Why am I not talking about these matches? Well, as of right now, Magda Lynette, 6'3, 3-6-6-4 win. Uh, excuse me, 3-6-6-3-6-4 win over Layla Fernandez. That's disappointing for Fernandez, particularly when you look, she made more first serves than Lynette in this match. She won a higher percentage of her first serve points. She had, you know, more breakpoint opportunities. And yet Lynette, five of twelve on breakpoint chances. Fernandez, three of fifteen on Breakpoint chances, and I'm not you know, again, I am not selling my stock on Layla Fernandez. I am very much holding all of the stock and all the equity, and I think we built up that equity here at Crack Rackets prior to her US Open run last season because, of course, we got to see her in the summer of 2020 at an exhibition event in Lexington, and we've been following her as she was one of the most accomplished juniors of the 2010s in women's ITF junior tennis, um, or I suppose girls' ITF junior tennis. That said. Leila Fernandez, in my mind, has always been someone who can do plan B, plan C, plan D extraordinarily well. I think there are a lot of things she does successfully on the court, but what is plan A? What's going to win her points easily and frequently? Serve out wide, forehand down the line combo, that's probably her best plus one ball, uh, but Lynette did a good job of taking that away from her, and Lynette did a good job of attacking that both the first and, in particular, that second serve to force Fernandez onto her back foot, where I think she's a good but not great mover. I think she's got good but not great defensive skills. I mean, Lynette's just going to make you work, and that seems to be precisely what Magda Lynette did, and ultimately, again, she upsets Leila Fernandez to advance. Now, as of right now, American Claire Liu, who I... I think if you listen to this podcast over the past eighteen months, you know I have all of the Claire Lou stock because I just think the young American, former Junior French uh, Junior Wimbledon champion, excuse me, still twenty one years old. Cracked the top 100 for the first time in her career last year, and just you know again strikes the ball so well, and just seems to be more accustomed and acclimated to the speed now of the women's game, and has always had the skill set and the foundation, but didn't quite have the physicality to be a top 100 player. Well, that physicality is now there, and right now Claire Liu, 6'3", 2'3", 30 love, she is up. On number two seed and prohibitive favorite to win this event, Paula Bedosa, winner of that, going to face Benchich in the quarterfinals. That should be a very fun match, but again... Then uh, Bedosa, Lou, that's on tap. Ecat versus Pliskova. Ekaterina Alexandrova going to take on Carolina Pliskova. Pliskova looked fine in her first-round victory, uh, 5 6-4 seven, seven, five, over Zavatska. Again, she very much looked like someone who hadn't played tennis in a quite a bit of time. You look, again, uh, Magda uh, again, uh, Lynette with the victory over Fernandez. She's now going to take on the always Hard-hitting, Kaya Kanepi. That should be a very fun match. And, of course, Angelina Kalanina, who's done as much winning as anyone over the past uh, cup of over the past Past 52 weeks of play, Kalanina continuing to prove she belongs in the top 100, Knocks off Elena Rabakina, 6'4-2-664. She now has a matchup with number 12 seed Alize Cornet. And again, when you look for Kalanina, she may not have the overwhelming weapons, but there's just a relentlessness to the Ukrainian. And you look for Kalinina now. She's up, I believe, to a new career high. In fact, she is the 25-year-old, 38 in the rankings right now. Again, Is she going to be a Grand Slam champion? That sort of upside. Maybe not. But at 25 years old, entering the prime of your career, you are now a top 50 player. You get to set whatever schedule you'd like for the remainder of this season. Yes, she's got some serious points to defend because she's played a ton of ITF tournaments over the past, honestly, two years. And I know points are still coming off the resume over the past two years. That said... Just keep an eye on Cal Nina. There's a consistency to her that I thoroughly enjoy. And again, I've really enjoyed this action in Charleston. That's why I'm spending so much time on it. It's a fun transition as someone who played only on green clay. I think I've played on red clay once in my life. I suppose the surface just resonates with me in a way the red clay never will. But uh, again, that's where things stand. The only player I didn't mention, Jabour, who gets a good win over Emma Navarro, and now later today will take on Arena Camilla Baguio. Of course, there's been some tough weather in Charleston this week, different storms and, you know, hurricane conditions, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But Ultimately, they are going to carry on, and I will say the new facilities in Charleston, I know they just renovated them. I'm not there. I will tell you from a distance, they look absolutely beautiful, and every player, people on the grounds, I've had the chance to speak with Steve Weissman, who of course is running the Tennis Channel desk there this week, raves about it. Absolutely raves about Charleston, would love to see an ATP event played at the Charleston grounds as well. You've got them already. It's a beautiful facility. There's just not a lot of green clay action. I really like the chance to see, you know, youngsters, which I think Mr. Navarro, the... Tournament, director, or tournament owner, who, uh, of course, father of Emma Navarro, got a really nice first-round win in uh, her victory over Madison Brangle before getting knocked out by Onjabur. I just like, look at who the wild cards went to, the uh, Navarros of the world. Emma Navarro obviously going to get one, but Linda Fruvertova got her playing opportunity here, and obviously Claire Liu uh, into the draw here as well. I, I just feel like you always get the chance to see the young talents here uh, in the Charleston, and certainly that's been the case this week. But again, quarterfinals going to be set after today should be a very fun championship weekend of action in Charleston. With that said, let's stick in the United States now, but move over to the ATP action happening in Houston. Quarterfinals going to be set after today's action. to describe how things have unfolded thus far in Houston. Because I do think from a results perspective, things have gone relatively, relatively according to plan. Now, certainly seeing Mitchell Kruger uh, advance to the round of 16 at an ATP-level event, not something I suppose any of us expected to happen. But certainly for Kruger, I thought he played some really good ball uh, to get to that second round. And, you know, again, after that, ran into the ball. uh, Had O'Reilly Opelka... I don't want to say on the ropes. Played a really good match with him, though. Uh, Yesterday in the second round, Opelka ultimately a 3-6-6-2-6-4 victory. Here's a fun fact for you. According to the Tennis Abstract Singles forecast, Riley Opelka, 36.9% chance of winning this weekend's event. Following him, Fritz, 13.1. Kyrgios now up to 11.9. You have Isner at 11.3. They have Opelka in a clay court event as the prohibitive favorite to capture the title. And certainly when you look for Opelka over his last 52 weeks on clay, the result that stands out, the Rome Masters semifinal run, right? Where he beats Karatsev and Musetti and a clay court specialist in Delbonis before getting knocked out by Rafa. And, you know, you look for him last year, third round Roland Garros, he held seed before getting knocked out by Daniil Medvedev. You look for Riley in his career on clay, 39-36, and overall not too bad for the big man now when you adjust that to the challenger level he was 14 and 6 at ch- at the challenger level on clay courts now you look at the ATP level 9 and 13 overall but he lost let's see 4 9 10 of his first 12 matches on clay so since losing 10 of those first 12 he's what 7 and 3 overall on the clay courts since the start uh, I suppose of last season and yeah i mean justifiably, I I do think when you look for Riley, that serve's going to translate regardless of surface. If you can hit the kick that big on the clay and hit the big bouncer and buy yourself time to move forward, you're going to have opportunities to attack. On the same note, I think Riley's more fluid than your typical six foot eight or taller player on the clay courts. I don't think he moves particularly poorly on. And I think that's a testament to growing up in Florida, the way that he did. I would also say you look for Riley again, how, I mean, he's just serving. He's still holding. Let's see in his last 52 weeks. Yeah. He's holding 90.6% of the time. You look for him in general here in 2022, again, across surfaces uh, for Riley Opelka here this year, he is holding serve. Yeah. Still a tour leading 94.4% of the time. Just absolutely Ridiculous, and again, three six six two six four, not the greatest result for Riley against a Kruger who really doesn't have that big of weapons to hurt him with. But nevertheless, still a good win for Riley, the sort of win you expect him to earn uh, as the top seed here at the. Uh, excuse me, as the favorite, given the numbers in this event yeah it was a little bit of a struggle but ultimately he gets over the finish line in sets two and three and now he's got a qualifier next in jills brower brower uh uh Gisba- brower excuse me knocking off jj wolf yesterday wolf of course earned that dramatic first round win four and four over jensen brooksby which we talked about on tuesday's show yesterday was a one and one win for brower so jury's still out on J.J. Wolf, on clay courts. Meanwhile, beyond that, the guy who pejoratively, you know, anecdotally, I suppose, better than pejoratively, anecdotally would be your favorite here, at this event would be number 5 seed Christian Garin. But, of course, Garin has struggled so mightily outside the top 100 in the points race here this season. And you look for Garin to start the year, loses to, you know, uh, to Bautista Agut and Ruud during the ATP Cup. Gets a three-set win over Dusan Lajovic, which would have been great, if this was 2017, but all due respect, the deuce is not the foe that he once was. Then somehow scraps his way to the third round of the Australian Open. And honestly, five set wins over Bagnus and Martinez before a straight set loss to Monfis. That was a massive victory for Guerin to that point. But you look for him during the South American clay court stretch. First round loss, three sets to Sebastian Baez in Cordoba. Two and zero loss to Federico Correa in Rio. One, uh, three and three loss, excuse me, to Tabilo in Santiago. For a guy who. Reached number 17 in the world rankings last year on the press of, uh, on the predicate that he is a top 10, top 15 sort of clay court player. The results got to start, and they got to start right now. And if you look for Christian Gareen to reach the quarterfinals here, three set win over a very much informed Jack Sock, and Jack Sock a lot of call that he didn't like, get into his head. Gareen used that to just keep attacking, stay relentless, stay consistent, make the match physical. Now, he did not serve particularly well yesterday, making only uh, fewer than 60% of his first serves, and that's been the struggle for him this season. That first serve percentage has dipped below 60% for the year, but ultimately earns the three-set win against Sock. Gets a three-set win today against Jordan Thompson, a match that was just physical, nasty, grimy, exactly what you sort of expect uh, during clay court season. Christian Green though, into the quarterfinals now where he will face the winner of Alejandro Tabilo, Taylor Fritz. I am fascinated to see Tabilo, who's the better mover, the more comfortable clay court player than Fritz, in my opinion. Just look at the challenger success Tabilo has had or the South American success he had. And I know I recapped this earlier in the week, but he makes that final uh, in Cordoba, follows it up with a semifinal the next week in Santiago, of course, made the Santiago challenger final a couple of weeks after that. I mean, the big lefty It's a funky game, but it just works on the clay courts because of the heaviness with which he hits, the decisiveness with which he hits, how fluid he is as a mover. I think the winner of Tabilo Fritz will be favored given Christian Gareen's recent form and given the two three-set matches he's played to beat Gareen to advance to uh, the quarterfinal round? Semi-final round? I guess that would be the quarterfinal match. Yeah, so to advance to the semi-final round, but it's a fun bottom section of the draw. Stevie Johnson going to take on John Isner. Stevie, a win over Dennis Kudla to advance. Isner in his first match uh, gets a bye, but then gets a victory yesterday. Um, or no, this is his first match today. Excuse me. Against Stevie Johnson, you then have Francis Tiafo kicking off his play uh, against Pablo Cuevas. That's not true. Tiafoe, four a 4-4 four win over Marcos Girón, where Respectfully, Garonne just didn't have the weapons to hurt him on the clay court, and I do think that's a big thing to see from Francis. I know we talked about his clay court record earlier in the week, but I think Francis should advance out of this bottom half of the draw. Again, on this surface, Isner, Fritz, Tabilo. Tabilo is probably the biggest challenger given the recent form of Christian Green. but you look right now at the tennis abstract projection. Fritz, this, I mean, it is a, essentially a pick 'em. They have Fritz in the bottom half of the draw, Fritz... Well it's actually interesting. Gareen a 21.7% chance to make the final but but uh, which is higher than Fritz's 21, but Fritz has only a 12 uh, has a 12.1% chance of winning the event which is higher than Christian Gareen. Jeff, if you're listening to this, expect a DM from me. Expect a tweet to head your way. Uh, it's a fascinating bottom half of the draw. And then again, we lost our number one seed, Kasparud, pulling out of the event before it began. And we saw today he got his wisdom teeth removed. And yeah, that's a wise man. Had to have some wisdom taken out, even in the form of a tooth. Nevertheless, Michael Moe made the most of his opportunity, 2-4 win over Sam Query to set up a date with Nick Kyrgios, who I've yet to speak about but has probably been your most impressive player in Houston to date. And you look for Kirios four six six three, six four win over a very much informed Mackie McDonald, and that match was just shot making, plus one tennis, ridiculousness at its finest. Yesterday Kyrgios gave Tommy Paul the business. 6-4, 6-2 win over the former junior French Open champion and rising young American. And, you know, not only did Kyrgios serve lights out, but it was how comfortable he was moving on the clay courts. As a guy who's played, what, fewer than 20 clay court matches over the past three seasons? That's by choice. It's not because he's poor, you know, doesn't play well on the surface. And give me his serve, his forehand, how well that forehand in particular, how heavy it is, how well it rips through the court. He should have success on every surface. He's got that sort of skill set, a comfort level moving forward. And yeah, his aggressive game style certainly will be best accentuated on a quicker court, a.k.a. Wimbledon, where Kyrgios always feels frisky at the start. But man, does he look at this past three weeks or four weeks, five weeks, whatever we want to say, Indian Wells, Miami, now here into Houston and just say, I know he and his girlfriend had planned on going home to Australia. Does he have to say to her, look, we're going to Paris this year. I'm playing too well. Now is the moment. The iron is hot. It's time for it to strike. You look for Nick Kyrios with this run of success. And I know this sounds uh, particularly, I mean, it sounds unimportant, I suppose, just given, you know, again, in the big picture, Kyrgios' career high is number 13 in the rankings. And the fact that he even had fallen outside the top 100 was indicative of At times, his lack of—well, it's not fair to say in a pandemic how comfortable are you traveling. But obviously, Nick Kyrgios and the motivation question has always been the biggest thing surrounding him. He's back up to number 86 in the world, which isn't great, but it's better. It's the right sort of start. Help him get into his event on his uh, events on his own merits. Won't have to be as reliant on wild cards. Still, fun week of action uh, unfolding certainly right now in Houston. And again, as we approach the quarterfinal round, it's going to be Kyrios taking on Mo, Opelka taking on Brower, then a bunch of stuff. Still to figure out in the bottom half of the draw. Again, I'm recording this around 6 p.m. here on Thursday. You look at the matches. Let's see where things are at. Oh, by the way, little update on that Claire Lou match. Bedosa up 5-4. Lou serving to stay alive in that second set. But, of course, she is up a set. Meanwhile, Francis Tiafoe drops the first set 7-4 to Pablo Cuevas. Christian Garinas as mentioned, the three-set win over Jordan Thompson. Shout out to Will Blumberg and Max Schnur. Wild cards into this event. They've won, I believe, five Challenger titles together, now into an ATP 250 semifinal uh, with success here this week, and they get a uh, straight set win over Robert Galloway, Jackson Withrow, who two great guys, by the way, and I believe were either your Cleveland, uh, they must have been, yeah, that was a Cleveland Challenger final rematch as Blumberg and Schner beat Galloway and Withrow in that final there, but... Fantastic result, again, as mentioned for uh, Blumberg and Schnurr. It's been a really fun week of action thus far in Houston. With that in mind, want to quickly move on to our final two events. We've got the women's action in Bogota, the men's action in Marrakesh. We'll start with the women's action. It's Kami Osorio's world, in my opinion, and we're all just living with it. I will be, I don't want to say shocked, but I will be very surprised if it's not one of Osorio. I mean, we're down down to the quarterfinal rounds, but I think the winner of Osorio and Yastremska, who do seem like they're destined to be on a collision course here after Yastremska knocks out Sarah Arani, 6376, yesterday. Yastremska's got the sort of power to disrupt the rhythm of Kami Osorio, but. I mean, Kami's ability to just move the ball around the court, find the short angles, open up the backhand return down the line, which I think is her single biggest weapon and best shot as a player. Of course, she'll mix in the drop shots, the short angles, the lob. On the clay court, she has that much more time to sit on her forehand and drive through it, how comfortable she is. You know, again, here's a phrase you all haven't heard me say in about nine months. What separates a good mover from a great mover on clay? I'm going to allow all of you, to think about that for a second, this is a discussion we have had before on this show, and I want you all you know, evoke memories of Rafael Nadal or some of these other players out there in the world. What do they do on the clay courts movement-wise that's different from the other 99.9% they slide into their shots. There are two types of movers, though, or three. Those who can't slide, those who slide out of their shots after they hit, or those who are comfortable enough, so comfortable moving, so good with their balance that they can hit the ball while sliding and stopping their momentum, being prepared to change directions. Kami Osorio is that natural of a mover on the clay courts, and obviously you look for Kami, who's back at home in Bogota, the, uh, the native Colombian, uh, made the final of this event last year and ultimately knocked out Tamara Zdancic in 3 resets and what was a breakout tournament for both of those players. We're back on the clay court here. You look for uh, uh, Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano. I mean, uh, Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano. She's got the opportunity now to make a top 50 push. I mean, uh, top 50, excuse me, a top 25, top 20 sort of push. You look for her in the rankings right now. Uh, obviously, she's defending a title here this week, but you look for Asorio now with her results overall. So, okay, the points have dropped off her resume in the live rankings. Shout out to them. She's currently number 53 in the live rankings should she repeat her title run she'll get she'll stay at number 33 in the rankings I suppose so okay no chance to gain points here this year and that's the tough part welcome to the WTA tour where you feel like I should win another tournament you're like wait I won this last year doesn't do anything for my resume. That's the fun, folks, of life on the pro tour. But again, Kami's look excellent. You know, yes, she got pushed to three sets in her first match against Inel Bond, but I thought she looked pretty comfortable in her 3-6 and six win over Ipeka Oz uh, earlier today. And, you know, you look for her now for uh, Kami Osorio, I believe. Let's see. Who does she have next? She is going to face the winner uh, of—excuse uh, me, never mind. She's got Ivanis uh, Ivaniacin. Uh, Next, the Russian, who currently is ranked, let's see, 170 in the world, but only 19 years old, turns 20 in late September, so clearly an ascending player on the rise, and it's very rare I haven't seen a name uh, that's competing in a WTA Tour event, but uh, Evanesan, certainly one that is relatively new to me. The matchup we're all waiting for is Kami Osorio versus Diana Yastremska. And according to the tennis abstract singles forecast, Yastremska, despite missing all this time over the past 12 months, whether it be for the suspension, for the injuries, et cetera, she is still the favorite to win this event. 47.8 to Kami Osorio's 28% after that. I mean, certainly the... um, Exit of Beatrice Haddad Maya, who lost 4-6-6, 3-6-4 to Rakimova in the second round. That was the upset that was unexpected because the lefty Haddad Maya had been playing so well of late. But, you know, the bottom half, it's all unseeded players. Miriam Bjorklund, Tatiana Maria, Irina Maria Barra, Camila Rakimova. Jastremska and Kami Osorio are the two established players. They're also the two most likely, in my opinion, to advance further uh, throughout the week. So keep an eye out for them as we progress through uh, the rest of the championship weekend. With that in mind, let's move over now quickly to the action that's happened in Marrakesh. And again, this is your other ATP 250 event. We did have our top seed officially knocked out of the tournament today as Alex Mulken. Next up, Felix Oshir Ali Asim, 6'4, 2676, fights off two match points to advance. You look for Mulkan who turns 25 in December of this year, ascending into the prime of his career. Therefore, it's not a surprise at all to learn he made four challenger finals, uh, two, three challenger finals last year, excuse me, all of them on the clay courts, winning two titles there. He also if you recall, made that final right before the French Open in Belgrade, where he faced Novak Djokovic in that final, Djokovic ultimately beating him on the red clay in his home uh, country of Serbia. But, you know, Mokan McLe- has made an ATP Tour level final before on the clay courts, and you look for Mulcan over his last 52 weeks, 60 and 22 overall is the 24 soon to be 25 year old at the end of the year. Okay, a couple of things for me to tweet out after this. I like it. Uh, the conflicting tennis abstract projections in Houston, as well as this Alex Molcan stat. So be on the lookout for those. Uh, but Mulcan has been again exceptional thus far. Uh, certainly looked very good in earning uh, the victory over. I just thought he served a little bit better today than Felix did and you know was just the more fluid mover of the two, was more comfortable, better acclimated to the clay court tennis from the start. Meanwhile, again, I continue to think the serve, the forehand, the heaviness and decisiveness with which Felix plays – I think that's a massive problem uh, for a bunch of people. As uh, I think it's pr- going to have success. Obviously, it's a problem. But I think it's going to have success uh, on the clay courts as well. I do, though, think, um, you know, again, it's going to take some acclimating. That was a really physical match. I think best of five, Felix ultimately takes it. But best of three, Mocan found the angles, made him uncomfortable, broke his rhythm, didn't let him play on his front foot. All the credit in the world to Alex Mulcan for that result. You look now, it's going to take on Botek Vandeskenshkulp, Vandeskenshkulp, who struggled in his first match, three-set win over Hugo Delian, now earns a straight-set win over very much in-form at the challenger level, Vit Capriva, two and four. Again, that the slice, the dice, the flatness, the movement is working for Botic. That's a step forward. Uh, I, You know, again, I think this has been a really good week for David Goffin, who gets a 2-6 and six win over Demir Zumher, now a 5-7, 7-6, 6-3 win over Pablo Andujar to advance into his first quarterfinal at the ATP level since, what, February of last season? It's just been so long for him, different health injuries, and just struggles with confidence, but uh, good victories for him this week over Zumher and uh, Andujar to advance to the quarterfinals, where now he's got the always-solid, Roberto Carbeas-Bena, who earns a 5-6 and six win over Cechinato, and then a 2-6 uh, and six win over Jao Sosa. Again, Carbeas-Bena just going to make you work. That's going to be a fun one. Federico Correa, always a tough out on the clay courts, follows his three-set win over Davidovich Fokino with a straight-set win over Mirza Basic. He's now going to take on Richard Gasquet, not bad. Quarterfinal. Gasquet, what, his second in the past year? He needs it. Uh, three-set win for him over Lax and then a three-set win for him over Pavel Kotov. Two advance to the quarterfinals. Your final quarterfinal, young Italian Lorenzo Musetti back on the dirt back where he's most comfortable. He's taking on Lazo Jure, also on the dirt, also where he's most comfortable. That's your action in Marrakesh. Again, that's the event I've locked in the least on this week, so as we podcast throughout the rest of the weekend, I will do better to focus on that result to keep all of you updated on all four of your tour-level action. But again, that's your update for what's going down right now in Charleston, in Houston, in Bogota, in Marrakesh. Of course, there's challenger action happening across the country as well, and as you all know, there's college action that happens each and every day of the week here in the United States. We try to cover it all here at Crack Rackets, and we will continue to do so on our website, CrackRackets.com. of course. Like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel to ensure that you don't miss out on any of the coverage if you need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout-out, as always, to Super Producer Daniel Westoff on the ones and twos, and who has a f- I've had any job to do day in, day out. Uh, Shout out to our friends at Tennis Point as well. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for my fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.